Over the last few days, the nation was led astray with new revelations pertaining to the infamous Zodiac Killer's identity. We are here to tell you that that was a hot pile of crap, um, but we're also here to dive deep into the Zodiac case and try to make sense of what we actually know for certain. We are your hosts, Helen Allen and Sherry Ferreira. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. Okay, so first and foremost, I just kind of want to talk about what happened over the last week, because... In our last episode, we mentioned, like, oh, exciting stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. We thought that there was a break in the case, but alas. There was nothing. There was nothing. Zip, zilch, a big old... We were fed lies, but it was... Um, An article that I read actually was so funny. It was like, yeah, it was probably some overnight intern that didn't read the press release carefully, didn't realize it was just a publicity thing, and then threw it in the news uh, news feed. And then other people thought, well, this must be legit. It's on Fox News. And if that isn't telling of the last... I don't know how many years. I don't know what is. But honestly, (laughs) they made it out to be so concrete and how there was this right. group of the headlines were like don't worry the zodiac killer is mm-hmm. found and it's like, like well first of all he's dead as hell yeah dead as a doornail and anyway so got our hopes up we're here to say we have nothing new to give you but stick around because we'll talk about what we think mm-hmm. and maybe that'll help you Decide what and you maybe think. maybe that matters to you. Yeah. Even a little. <laughs> First, we're going to kind of split this episode. It's a little different than usual. Um, I'm going to just give a lowdown of everything. And then we'll kind of like go into what's been new in the press and talk about what we're thinking and da da da. Not everybody is familiar with the Zodiac Killer. Um, I mean, I wasn't until a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, there was um, a movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. um, so I think that made a lot of people aware of it, but besides that, I mean, it's just another story to be aware of that I think that, like, not a lot of people have, I mean, we are people that care about true crime, but if you of don't, course. maybe this isn't on your radar. Yeah. A little bit about the Zodiac Killer. Um, Zodiac is a serial killer who is active in California during the 60s and the 70s. He was never caught to this day, like Mm -hmm. I said. He claimed to have 37 victims, although the police only consider seven to be definite Zodiac victims. He gave himself that silly name. Like, oh my god. And we'll get into it later, but he literally is like, this is my name. And they're like, okay, let's roll with that. Yeah, it's like in the yearbook when someone, when like, you know how you always get asked, like, what was your nickname in high school? And Mm. people write things that it's like, no, it wasn't. No one called you that. (laughs) Zodiac is just like. No one called you dog with a W? What are you talking about? You just, no, no, no. (laughs) Anyway, that's what I think of when I think he like self-proclaimed his nickname. It's like um, BTK. Yes. It's like, like, no, 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 we're not calling you that. All but somehow we do. I don't know why he wins. Like, why do we call them by the names that they want us to call them by? It just Stupid. feels like we should have been like, he's the pee pee poo poo killer. Hey, um, so you know what I mean? Oh God. Maybe they would stop doing it. You know right? that meme that's like, 
um, let's rebrand crime as quime because then everyone who did it is going to feel so dumb. <laughs> I mean, good. So then yeah. you're going to feel like an idiot. So from here on out, we're going to call Zodiac the pee-pee-poo-poo killer. Pee-pee-poo-poo killer. No, I'm just kidding. That would be incredibly annoying. Throughout this entire thing, imagine. I know. And people listening are like, oh, is she done? This is so old. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so self-aware um, here. So, yes, basically he would, like, write these letters to local newspapers and, like, demand that they get published to the public. The letters would sometimes include, like, physical evidence from the crime scenes. And he then started to send these, like, ciphers, which he said had his identity within them. He would also sign with this, like, symbol that had a cross in a circle. And of the four ciphers that he sent to newspapers... Two of them have been solved. Um, they are grotesque, but they also don't include his identity, like he said. He would target young couples in secluded areas. He used guns and knives. He wore a weird costume at least one time that we know yeah, of. Yeah, that like, um... Yes, we'll that talk weird... about okay, it. Okay, good, good. Um, and he called the police after two sets of murders to report them. The police did not have the calls recorded. I mean, it was the 60s and 70s, so what can you do? Yeah, let's set our expectations low. Right, the bar is so low. <laughs> um, the man who called the TV show claiming to be Zodiac also, if you saw the movie too, that's in- included in the movie, um, he was proven to not be the real Zodiac. Yeah, because they originally thought that he was Right, and they were like, cool, identity. sign, sealed, delivered. Mm-hmm. But no. No. It's not that easy. The Zodiac sent at least 18 letters, usually to newspapers, but occasionally to private citizens also. Mm -hmm. Um, The first letter was sent July 31st, 1969, and the last was sent on July 8th, 1974. In 1966, 67, 1978, and 1990, communications were received that might have been the Zodiac, but they don't know for sure if he was the author of it. Last week, a team of cold case investigators announced via press release that a now-deceased man named Gary Francis Post was the Zodiac Killer. Like I had said, it's not true. Um, Among the evidence was a, like, furrowed brow on the sketch artist's drawing that matches Post's forehead scarring. So I guess, like, he had, like, some... Yeah, the similar scar. So they're like, oh, it must be him. And the people who made this discovery it was a group of about 40 investigators and like retired detectives and they called themselves the case breakers right so i think a lot of that was put in the media and you're like oh this is so legit like, and they it just found sounds him. like the squad to yeah do it. i'm like oh this is I the avengers them. on yeah, like seriously steroids. oh my gosh so basically yeah there was also um an allegation that one of the zodiac's mysterious ciphers could be unlocked using gary francis post's whole name yep and claims that he perhaps killed a waitress named Cherry Joe Bates, an assumed but not definite Zodiac victim. With that being said, let's get into the definite police-ruled victims. We'll talk yeah. about each and every one of them. There's not tons um, that have been concrete um, out of the ones that he's claimed, but we're just going to sit here and talk about the ones that we know for certain were Zodiac victims. On December 20th, 1968, at approximately 11.15 p.m., David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen... The most 1968 name. Adorable. The most Betty Lou Jensen. Name. She's so wholesome. I love that name. It's like just like a 16-year-old in the 60s, right? I love it's her. It's just the cutest little name. Um, okay. 
So they were parked in David's station wagon along the remote Lake Herman Road on the eastern outskirts of Vallejo, California. The two are young. David is 17 and Betty is 16. And this was actually, this is so, this gets to me for some reason, but this was the first date that Betty was ever allowed to go on. That's so my girl, sad. My girl Pete. My girl Pete. Because she's, so, she's so, she's wholesome. And this whole she's thing screams wholesome. wholesome. Okay, keep going. The two um, were suddenly interrupted by shots fired into their car. Apparently, this was to get them to get out of the car. So, David gets out in a panic and is unfortunately shot as he's exiting the car. Betty, seeing this, is smart and she starts to run away and she is unfortunately also shot. The weapon was a 22 caliber semi-automatic pistol the ammunition was, I, this stuff is boring, but whatever. Yeah, um, <laughs> the ammunition was Winchester Western Super X copper coated long rifle. There was no indication of robbery or sexual molestation. And while there were no witnesses, several vehicles were seen in the area just prior to local resident Stella Borges discovering the crime scene. Yeah. They went to this, like, I don't want to call it makeout point, but it was like this drive where people specifically couples right. would go there originally. And this is what the Zodiac would seek after because it's a remote location that it's just going to be the two of them, and they're kind of trying to keep a low profile. They maybe didn't tell their parents where they were going. They're at their most vulnerable, yeah, and he's like, exactly. "I'm going to take this opportunity to do that." Right. So while David and Betty are traditionally considered definite Zodiac victims, there have been many other suspects in this case that I just think are worth, like, talking about. Really? In the early 1990s, former Vallejo Police Department detective John Lynch said that the couple was killed because David had learned of a major drug deal and had been talking openly about who was involved. Other sources have speculated that Zodiac wasn't responsible because there were no taunting letters or phone calls after this happened, until months after the murders. Mm. However, when Zodiac finally did take credit for this attack, he did provide many details that were not known to the general public. Which he gets wishy-washy, and we'll talk about right. that later on. And again, it was months later, so it's like, yes, it was not provided to the general public, but did he have some sort of in to find out? I mm-hmm. don't know. Okay, moving on. Um, on July 5th, 1969, at approximately 12.10 a.m., Darlene Farron and Mike McGow are parked in a secluded lot in Blue Rock Springs Park on the eastern outskirts of Vallejo, California. Darlene is 22 and Mike is 19. They had chosen this isolated location to talk. Um, A car, possibly a light brown Ford Mustang or a Chevrolet Corvair, pulled into the lot just a few feet away. Sketchy. Yeah. Immediately. I mean, come on. Like, if this happened, I'd be like, what are you doing right Mm -hmm. next to me? Like, there's plenty of space. Go somewhere else. It's scary. Like, immediately you're afraid by this. But a man with a flashlight exited the vehicle and approached them. And to them, they were like, okay, this is a police officer. There's no other cars here. This guy's coming to investigate. So the two of them take out their IDs and they're ready to speak to the authority. Without any sort of warning or anything, the man begins shooting at the couple. After five shots are fired, 
the man walked slowly back to his car. I just, that's a point that I think is so eerie that he just shoots five times and slowly goes back to his car. Um, So at this point, Mike is screaming out in pain. And so the man returns and fires two more shots into each victim. And it was at this point that Mike is able to get a good look at him. And he says that the man was white, 5'8 or 5'9, in his late 20s to early 30s. He's got, like, a stocky build, a round face, and brown hair. There was absolutely no conversation between the victims and this man. Approximately 45 minutes later, the Vallejo Police Department received a call from a man claiming responsibility for the attack. He correctly identified the weapon as a 9mm and also took credit for the murders that happened before that we spoke about. Yes. Darlene was shot five times and Mike was shot four times. To reiterate, the weapon was a 9mm semi-automatic pistol and there was no indication of robbery or sexual assault and there were no witnesses. Darlene was married and waitressed at Terry's restaurant, and Mike was single and worked as a laborer. Because of this dynamic, Darlene's husband, Dean, was the initial suspect in the murder. However, yeah, that was quickly ruled out once it was established that he was actually working as a cook at Caesar's restaurant at the time of the murder, and, you know, they were able to vouch for his whereabouts. Um, And Darlene's first husband, James Phillips Crabtree, was also briefly a suspect, but again, he had an alibi and they were able to rule him out. Okay. On July 31st, 1969, letters were sent to the Vallejo Times Herald, San Francisco Examiner, and the San Francisco Chronicle. The letters claimed to be from the killer of all of these victims. Um, Details were included that only the killer could have known, um, and each letter contained one-third of a cipher that, if it were solved, supposedly contained the killer's identity. While the killer hadn't yet given himself the name Zodiac, this marked the beginning of his, like, letter-writing spree that would go on for more than five years. As a side note, Mike McGow actually ended up surviving these attacks, and he later goes on to kind of try to help the police figure out, you know, who this might be and we're gonna get more into depth about this specific suspect but mike mcgow in 1991 identified arthur lee allen as being the shooter this identification was because he was being shown a photo lineup and they like asked him like hey it's been 20 years why have you not identified him before and mike was literally like no one ever showed me any pictures of any suspects I mean, that just shows you what was going on back then. Right, you I know? mean, if that's true, that's, like, the biggest mistake that law enforcement has ever made. Mm-hmm. Like, hello? When you think of a suspect, don't you want to show the one surviving victim? Yeah. Who got, like, a... Oh, my God. Like, I, I really just cannot yes. wrap my head around that. But we'll get more into Arthur Lee Allen. But, I mean, that's amazing. Good for yeah. him. Oh, yeah. Good, Mike. Our next one is a little different. On September 27th, 1969, a Saturday... Cecilia Shepard, who was 22, and Brian Hartnell, who was 20, were relaxing on a blanket at a very remote spot by Lake Berenessa near Napa, California. Cecilia noticed a man 
coming up to them, kind of wearing this, like, weird costume and holding a gun. I mean, so creepy. I mean, do you want to describe the costume? Oh, my God. From what I remember, it was just this mask that he had over his face. Did it have, like, a theme to it? I can't remember. I truly don't. Yeah. I think he was just dressed in a mask. And from what I read up about, she sort of saw him through... I guess in between some trees and she went to go tell, um, she went to go tell Brian, but I don't think he believed her. Mm. So then later when he did come, they were like, oh my God, like there's actually a guy there. Right. Oh, that's the and worst it, feeling. Like, Truly. <sighs> like thinking like, wow, we could have run before maybe, but. Mm-hmm. And to think, okay, so a lot of people like, you're like, okay, yeah, you can run, but they were in like this remote spot on the lake. Yeah, that it's like if they ran, what would have even happened? Because we saw what happened to Darlene. Mm-hmm. She did run, and she still got shot five times. Or, I'm sorry, not Dar- Darlene. Um, Betty Lou, she did run, and she still got shot. So it just goes to show, like, you're really just in the worst situation possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what what he knows. You know, he knows these people are vulnerable. They're in, like, yeah, this, this is why location. Honestly, like, I mean, it just shows how, like, cowardly the Zodiac Killer is because he really only goes after people that are in their most vulnerable states. He has no fight in him, really, except for, you know, going after people that don't know to fight yet, and then it's too late. Exactly. Because if he really, you know, if, if he was known to them beforehand, then they would be able to fend for themselves. But mm. he doesn't ever want to put them in that position to possibly win against him. So, Cecilia, yes, Cecilia notices this man. And um, she said that the man seemed to be around six feet tall and had this, like, heavy build. And he claimed that he was a prison escapee from either Montana or Colorado and needed money and a car to flee to Mexico. So Brian, trying to figure out the situation, offers his wallet and his car keys, but the man doesn't even take it. After minutes of talking, the man ties the couple up with plastic clothesline and stabs them. Brian was attacked first, then Cecilia. After the assault... The man walks away casually, just, just like, like before. Yup. And Creepy several as minutes as pass, and a fisherman nearby heard the couple screaming and then alerted park rangers. Yeah, By it the was time, like this guy and his son, and they were like, oh my god, this, like, they need our yeah, help, like, and they were oh my, running. What is this? Yeah. By the time that officials got there, Cecilia and Brian managed to untie themselves, but it took nearly an hour for the ambulance to come, so that kind of left them both in critical condition. Just over an hour after the attack, the Napa Police Department received a call from a man claiming responsibility for the stabbing. The call was quickly traced to a phone booth in downtown Napa and fingerprints were later recovered. Meanwhile, Napa County Sheriff's Department deputies were responding to the crime scene. They found that the attacker had written a message on the victim's car door. The message included the dates of the past murders and was signed with this cross circle symbol. Tire tracks mm-hmm. indicated that the killer had parked behind the victim's car. Size 10 and a half wing walker shoes were recovered by the scene, indicating that the suspect was probably weighing more than 210 pounds. Detectives later located three young women who had noticed a strange man in the general area just a couple hours before the attack. Cecilia unfortunately died within 48 hours of the stabbing. 
Her funeral services attracted a huge crowd of mourners. Yeah. And Brian recovered from his wounds and is now an attorney in Southern California. While Brian gave many interviews in the first few years after the attack, he is no longer discussing the case with the news media, and I don't blame him. At all. I mean, I, I could... No one can blame him Why for that, you Why would you want know? to? Yeah. To like, he's done enough. He's helped them. He said what he needed to say. And now he's like, let me live my life. He this said is what, enough. Brian said what he said. He's like, I said what I said. So, while Brian gave many interviews, he's taking a step back, rightfully so. And as many suspects were scrutinized, including Ted Bundy. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um... A February 1989 comparison of fingerprints actually proved that Ted Bundy was not the killer of this crime. But I do want to note that I think in this case specifically, you can see the escalation here. Because before it was like point blank shooting them. But this time he ties them up and it's like... And he uses a knife it's in more, this one. Yeah, it's angrier. It's prolonged. It just feels like it's escalating to me. I agree 100%. All right. Our last victim that has been, like, kind of um, solidified by the police and, like, we're for certain is a victim of the Zodiac Killer is Paul Stein. On October 11th, 1969, at around 9.55 p.m., Cab driver Paul Stein was shot once in the head at point-blank range while driving at the northeast corner of Washington and Cherry Streets in the Presidio Heights neighborhood of San Francisco, California. The weapon was a 9mm semi-automatic pistol, but not the same 9mm used in the Farron murder. There were three witnesses from a house on the southeast corner of the There were kids, by the way. Yeah. It was just watching it happen, and then we're like, we need to call the police as yeah, this man is being kids. shot. Like, I cannot. Oh. So, here are the details from zodiackiller.com, which is, you know, actually a pretty credible source. <laughs> it sounds like a scam. Oh, yeah. But I looked into it, and they're, they're a very credible source. So, anyway. Stein's cab was hailed at Mason and Gary Streets, with the intended destination being Washington and Maple Streets near the Presidio. For reasons unknown, the cab ended up at Washington and Cherry Streets, a block away from the original destination. Paul's wallet and keys were taken, and a large portion of his shirt was carefully torn off. Bloody fingerprints, potentially of the suspect, were recovered from the vehicle. According to a police document, a pair of men's size 7 black leather gloves were also found. The three witnesses watched the suspect from approximately 60 feet away, as he wiped down the cab with a cloth after killing Paul Stein. They called the police and described a white male, 25 to 30 years old, 5'8 to 5'9, stocky build, reddish-brown hair, worn in a crew cut, heavy-rimmed glasses, and dark clothing. Which, can which, I just tell you, these are children, and they are giving the best description, description I've ever, ever read. And first of all, like, when I was a kid, I was like, I don't know if you're 25 or 60. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no in between. like, get this grandma out of here, and the girl was like, 20 exactly. years old. Exactly. So, like, I really gotta give it to these kids. And the description that they gave was very consistent with the past. Exactly. Um, so you know that they are being true mm-hmm. about it. Like, it's, you know, that didn't make sense. You get what I'm saying. <laughs> They last saw him casually walking north on Cherry Street. Unfortunately, 
The police dispatcher mistakenly described the suspect as being a black male adult because, you know, it was racist. Yeah, it was racist back then. Let's not. I mean, it still can be. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, it still is. But. Who, who's going to say it's not racist now? But, yeah. But and there is a is lot so of. This is so devastating because, like, this is really, like, the kind of thing that. Really messes up an it investigation. It makes the difference between solving this and letting it go for another 30 years. Mm, which... And that's what it is. It's like. If she didn't just assume that the criminal was a black male and she just listened to the kids that mm-hmm. were so right, we could be either a this few case would steps have been closer or it'd be literally solved. Exactly. And we'll so, see next. As a result, when patrol officers Donald Falk and Eric Zelms minutes later observed a white man walking east on Jackson Street, he was never stopped and questioned. It reminds me of the Randall Woodfield thing. Oh my God. They were like, that can't run that fast. It's not him. And I was like, hello? <laughs> Can we do the work today? Oh my goodness. The officers did get a good look at him. However, thank God. I mean, seriously. <laughs> when the correct description of the suspect was finally broadcast, the officers realized, oh wait, maybe actually we did see that guy. Huh. Um, a search of the area where the man had been observed was conducted, but Nothing came of it. Yeah, it was too late at that point. I mean, really. Like, it's just... Come on. Can we just relay the information we get? Mm-hmm. The way we get it? This isn't a game of telephone. Because he could have been caught. It's they had him so right there. They had the witnesses on the scene calling as it was occurring. It's, I mean... I mean, and like, here, I gotta give it to a 911 operator. Their job is incredibly stressful and taxing. But your job is to write down the details you hear. Mm-hmm. Um, the man seen by Falcon Zelms was very similar to the suspect observed by the three kids. Mm-hmm. He was white, 35 to 45 years old, 5'10", between 180 and 200 pounds, barrel-chested, whatever the fuck that means, with <laughs> light-colored, crew-cut hair, and wearing glasses. The man didn't appear to be carrying anything, and no conversation between the man and the officers took place, but... I mean, I could be wrong, but I think a 9mm pistol, he could have just put it in a pocket or something. Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to present as he's carrying it, you know? It could have just been he was wearing a jacket and he put it in the pocket. Yeah. You know? This isn't, like, a giant rifle, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, please, give me hate mail if I'm wrong. Oh, no, it definitely wasn't. So... The Stein murder was initially thought to be a routine, just, like, cabbie killing, because, you know, this one's a little different, because he was robbed, and so they kind of looked at it in a different way. Agreed, and it was also just one guy, I mean, not Yeah, a couple, like, this isn't not a, a couple, just the one guy, and, and the MO is different. He was mm. robbed, and, like, that piece of his shirt is missing. Mm-hmm. However, on October 13th, 1969, the San Francisco Chronicle received a letter from Zodiac containing a portion of that shirt and taking credit for the killing. SFPD inspectors Dave Toshi and Bill Armstrong, who were assigned the case, were shocked to realize that the shirt belonged to Paul Stein. But then the Zodiac killer actually came out and was like, wait, I spoke with the patrolman the night of the murder. Yeah, so it wasn't just, like, they passed by him. They actually fully had a conversation with him at his car. And he was like, the killer went that way. I saw the same guy you're talking about. That black man, he went that way. I'm a white man, so go that That way. That is such an episode of Scooby-Doo. 
I'm not kidding. <laughs> it literally, literally is. He's like, oh, the criminal who stole all these money bags? He went that way. <laughs> what, these money bags? I saw the yeah. guy who took them. <laughs> like, who they <laughs> run in midair for a second and then shoot off. <laughs> but that fully happened, and it just adds another layer of frustration oh God, of if they had the right description. I wonder if this these police officers could have been, like, hypnotized to, like, remember the exact... I mean, like, I every day they must artist. be kicking themselves <laughs> in the... I know, for real. The three witnesses, I mean, they felt like the lighting conditions and the fog, it wasn't really the best time to, like, observe a killer. But right. they still worked with police composite artists to put a face on Zodiac. A few days after the sketch was circulated throughout the Bay Area in form of a wanted poster, the witnesses requested the sketch to be altered to make it more accurate. Because they saw what they saw. Right. Which, it, when when they requested um, for the sketch to be altered, was that because they were like, oh, I thought of something new? Oh. Because that makes me feel and like it's archive. less credible. Because, mm. you know, like you're right after you see something is the time where you report it. And then after you give yourself time, your brain ma- makes things up. It fills and in the gaps that you exactly. think you saw, which is why witness testimony yeah, eyewitness is kind of not all that reliable. Yeah, never super 100%. So that does kind of raise some red flags to me. But regardless, another version was made. More than a month after Paul Stein's murder, Officer Falk finally came forward about his possible encounter with the killer. Tune in next week for part two, where we will discuss all of the suspects and even some of our own thoughts and theories. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod, Twitter at the Chalkline Pod, and catch us on YouTube. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.